So in light of everything that's happening in the world, and you know there's always something happening in the world, in light of that, I do pray that you and I would, um, our faith would rise above our fear. It is the truth, it's the truth we just said. Jesus is our miracle worker. Jesus is our promise keeper. Jesus is light in the darkness. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Word of God. And it is my prayer, it's my prayer that you have either made him your hope or you will make him your hope today. I want you to meet someone. This is uh, Howard Kirby. Uh, so Howard and his wife uh, and their family, uh, they've had some difficult times, you know, some things with finances and that. And, uh, but they found themselves uh, in need of a secondhand couch. They were wanting to get one. So they decided to go to one of those Habitat for Humanity restores. I've been there before and they were looking around at different items and they, they saw a specific couch and they decided they'd get it. It cost them $35 and then they took the couch home and when they did, this happened. It still boggles my mind every so often. Howard Kirby likes to shop at the Habitat for Humanity Restore in Owasso. Last month, he purchased a couch for his man cave. And this weekend, he made a shocking discovery. It was filled with thousands of dollars in cash. still have to pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming or something. And Kirby says that he had this ottoman for a few weeks before noticing that it was uncomfortable. And that's when his daughter decided to open it up. And then she started pulling out this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a total of $43,170 was found in the ottoman cushion. But Kirby says he didn't feel right keeping the money, so he reached out to the ReStore to find out who had donated the couch. Turns out it was Kim Fouth Newberry. The couch originally belonged to her grandfather, and he died last year. This is just crazy. Today, the ReStore held a big surprise for Fouth Newberry to give back every dollar found in the cushion. Why he's got money in cushions? I don't know. Complete That's awesome. Really? Like, we talked about yeah. that. Kirby says an attorney told him that he had no legal obligation to give the money back, but he felt like he had to morally. And that's something that Rick Merling, the store manager, thinks is heartwarming. Just doing the right thing. To me, this is someone who, in spite of what they're going through, in spite of their own needs, has said, I'm just going to do the right thing. Kirby says he could have used the money, but he feels better knowing that the money is with the rightful owner. The pints, I've heard of done so many other times and I always thought what would I do if that ever happened now I know and it makes me feel good in Owasso Rachel McCrary WNEM TV5 so I found like 35 cents on a couch one time but never never $43,000 it's like you know you hide your cash in a mattress I don't know but you know hide it in a well a cushion on a couch this kind of where things are are so I thought that his statement at the very end, though, Howard Kirby's statement, is really intriguing to me. He says, you know, you really don't know what you're going to do in that situation until you actually get in that situation. I mean, you don't know what you're going to do. I, yeah, I think I'm going to do this, but until you find stacks of $100 bills, $43,000 in cash, it's like, what honestly are you going to do with it? Now, I, I, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that this circumstance, and let's say with money, anything in general, but let's say finding $43,000 that you didn't expect, is this a test or a temptation? Now, I, th I think this is important to know. In our English language, we have two separate words, test and temptation. But in Jesus' language, the original language, the Greek language, there's one word, and it means both. So to me, him finding this $43,000 is really both. It's both a test and a temptation. Now, understand, God tests Satan tempts. And God tests us. He wants to test you. And you know why he tests you? He tests me. It's because he loves you. 
He just loves you, he does. He wants us to be reflecting his son. He wants our character to be about uh, his son in this life. And so we receive these tests to just kind of see, hey, kind of where are we? And then when the Holy Spirit speaks to us in this, it just makes it very clear. You know what, this isn't the right thing. You know, we should give the money to the person that it belongs to. Now, Satan wants to tempt you and I. And what does he want to do that? It's because he hates you. He despises you and myself. He does. He can't get to God, so he goes after God's children. And he tempts us, and he tries to you know, convince us. I mean, again, Satan wants you and I to either drift away from God or outright just walk away from God. And he'll use anything to make that happen, especially money and possessions. And, and he'll do, he'll whisper things to us. You know, it's not the Holy Spirit speaking to us. He's whispering, you know what, I tell you what, that previous owner should have looked carefully. You know what, that, that uh, Habitat Humanity Restore, they just should have been more thorough. I mean, it's their issue. I mean, it is rightfully my money. I get it. I get it, but you know what? All Satan wants to do is to get you and I to twist our thinking. We become selfish in this life, and when we become selfish in this world, then here's what happens. Well, then we don't become more like Jesus in this life. Last week, I started this series called My Hope. Okay, so Luke, Jesus does this, but Luke's the gospel writer. And Luke gives us multiple reasons why you and I should make our hope, put our hope in Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at this one. My hope is found in the one who will right all wrongs. That's the promise. Now we're going to look at this. My hope is found in the one who goes beyond our stuff, goes beyond our possessions in this world. I want us to get right into it. Open your Bibles today to Luke 18, will you please? Luke 18, 18 is where I need you to go right now. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, I promise you, we'll give you a Bible right now. If you don't own a Bible, it's yours to keep. Otherwise, you can just borrow it, use it. Luke 18 is found on page 1051 of the Bibles that we hand out each Sunday. Remember, you can grab one in the bookcase every single time and bring it inside to our, uh, into this worship service, and then we can utilize that together. Um, if you have a Bible, that's fantastic. YouVersion is one of the greatest Bible tools, wonderful Bible app. I encourage you, get into YouVersion, go to the right-hand corner, tap more. Once you hit more, then you'll see a list populate, you'll see events, tap events. That'll bring you to, again, type in our church or 4301, and that'll give you Westworld Christian Church, and then you can follow the notes and the scriptures all in the order that they're presented. Luke 18. Once we get into Luke 18, we're told about this person Jesus meets, and this person is rich and young. I don't, I don't know for a moment. Did he look like Justin Bieber? You know, I mean, you know, Justin's rich and young. I doubt it. He's too fair-skinned. But um, he is young. He's 26, and he certainly is rich. He's got a net worth of $285 million. So that would qualify. But Luke does something different. Again, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, tell us that he's rich and young. But Luke tells us that he's a rich, young ruler, which means he was also influential. Let's go. Let's start now. Go to Luke 18 for me, please. And let's start at verse 18, and let's weave, let's weave our way down through several verses. Here's verse, verse 18. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Fantastic question. Well, Jesus will ultimately get to that. Again, we all need to talk about eternity. He'll get to it. But Jesus often answers a question with a question. Go to verse 19. Jesus asks, I mean, why do you call me good? And truthfully to me, I'm thinking, it's because it's obvious. I mean, Jesus, my gracious, you did good things all the time. In Luke 17, Jesus will heal 10 men of leprosy. In Luke 16, Jesus will elevate the status of women. In Luke 15, Jesus will, he'll, he'll, he's desperately concerned about the lost. There's three different stories about it in Luke 15. Now, again, there's multiple reasons why Jesus is good, but I think the one overall overarching reason why Jesus is good is because he's God. You see, Jesus went around this planet. My goodness, he did this forgiving people of their sins. 
did this over and over again. This is John. This is John chapter 1, verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God. Did you catch that? Who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I mean, there's lots of reasons to make Jesus Christ your hope, but the fact that he's God? Don't put your hope in something that's temporary. Let's put our hope in someone who's eternal. Put your hope in God. Let's keep reading. Go to verse 19 again. We didn't get to the whole thing there. Verse 19, he says, Now why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Now I don't think, Jesus isn't putting himself down. He's just elevating God. But I believe with all my heart, the rich young ruler, and we do this too, we just don't realize just exactly who Jesus is. I mean, really, who is he? You know, just how good is he? Let me see if I can explain it this way. We'll put the Ten Commandments on the, on the screen here for us. So let's look at these for a moment. So just thinking you're, you're, you can be positive or negative, but let's be positive. How many of these commands have you kept your entire life? So we just, can I just use myself as an example? I'll do this and I'll go through these commands. So you have commandment number one, do not worship any, other, any gods, but I have. I've worshiped all kinds of gods. You know, you can make anything out. I've made my wife a god, my children a god. You can make your job a god. Uh, do not make any idols. And I've done that. I mean, sports can become an idol. Money can become an idol. I've done that in my life. Do not misuse the name of God. I have. I've taken the Lord's name in vain. Many, many times I've cussed. You know, and again, it's not sometimes saying it out loud, too. It's what you think in your head. Again, keep the Sabbath holy. I have on some occasions. Many times I have not. As a matter of fact, I've made the Sabbath out to be just an ordinary day. And when we do that, oftentimes God kind of gets brushed aside. We don't really make him a priority when we do that. Uh, honor your father and mother. I have done that. I've done that many times. But I've sassed my mom several times in my life and paid for it every time. <laughs> oh, my. Don't do that. You know, it's like, and again, I've been disrespectful to my dad. Hey, dad, you don't really know anything. When, oh, my goodness. I, I, yeah. Okay. Do not murder. I've kept that one. <laughs> no, I've kept that one. I've not murdered. But then you got to go read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says, if you hate someone with your heart, you hate them, you're like, I hate your guts. You actually will murder them. You are murdering them. Well, I've committed that because I've hated people in my life. Then he says, do not commit adultery. I've not done that one either. I'm not, but again, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that if you lust after a man or a woman, if you lust after another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And I've lusted before, so I've broken that commandment too. Do not steal. I've stolen. Do not lie. I've lied many times. Mom is the number one person people lie to. Sorry, moms, but it's how it is. Do not covet. I've coveted many things in my life. I mean, you have it, I want it. So when I look at these 10 commandments, I'm 0 for 10. Over 10, I've broken every single one of the commandments. And not to burst your bubble, you have too. You have too, I have. We've all done this. Now, what's interesting to me is that Jesus kept them all. Now, you want to talk about good. That's really good. He's kept them all. Why should you and I make Jesus Christ our hope? Well, because he's God. It's God in human form. I mean, put your faith and trust in him. Now, I'm very curious what's going to happen because Jesus is going to use these Ten Commandments. I want to see how the rich young ruler does. How does he fare with the Ten Commandments? So let's keep going. Go to verse 20. Will you please, again, Jesus has just said, no one is good except God alone. Now, verse 20, he's talking to the rich young ruler. You know the commandments. Here they are, folks, right there. Here's the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Uh, he says, you shall not commit adultery. That's commandment number seven. You shall not murder. That's commandment six. 
Um, you shall not steal, that's commandment eight. You shall not give false testimony, that's commandment nine. And honor your father and mother, so that's commandment five. Now, what's interesting to me is Jesus leaves out commandments one through four. This is the vertical relationship that we have with God. This is all about loving God. When we do this, we show love for God. Five through 10 shows our love for people. It's the horizontal love. But what I find interesting is he leaves 10 out. He doesn't have 10 in there. I, I, I don't see it at all. It's not listed. So I'm interested. It's going to come up later. And now, now I want to know, like, how is he going to respond? How, how's, this, how's the rich young ruler going to respond? Let's keep reading. Go to verse, what is it, 21? Verse 21. So there it is. He says, all these, that's commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And he's telling the truth. Because what he's doing is he's talking about the letter of the law. See, what he did is he made sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and he said he was sorry. And again, that's, that is true. He did do that. And so he's kept these commands. Jesus wants to know what's deep inside his heart, what's really in your heart. He wants to know what's always. You and I can always follow the letter of the law, but really, what's in our hearts? What are we really thinking about? So Jesus says this in verse 22. Verse 22 now. Okay, it says, when Jesus heard this, and I love Mark's gospel, Mark 10 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. So let's add that. When Jesus heard this, he looked at him and loved him, and he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, you, you and I could hear this like, this is, that's appalling, I can't believe Jesus would say that to him. Or you and I could look at this as the greatest adventure that you could ever imagine in life. And this is what Christianity is. Christianity is this amazing adventure. It's again, Jesus is calling us to lose our lives. And when we lose our lives, we gain life. That's what he's calling him to do right here. But a lot of times our possessions and our stuff, it just kind of gets in the way. I mean, Jesus said this, if you really want to have life, if you want to have a life that's, this is Christianity, it's a life of sacrifice, it's a life of surrender, it's a life of obedience, it's a life that's a, it's an adventure, it's a life of blessing, it's a life of suffering. It's all of those things, all those things, but it always comes with a promise that if you and I lose our lives, we'll gain life in this world. As a matter of fact, he tells Peter this. Go down to verse 29, please. Verse 29 in, in chapter 18. Again, Peter is like, we've left everything for you, Jesus. Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's a promise. He gives us a promise. It's a promise with a promise that if we lose our lives, we'll gain life. It would be nothing short of remarkable, but I can't help it, folks. I would love to have been there to see the look on the rich young ruler's face when Jesus told him, get rid of everything. What? Like, are you kidding me? It's like, Jesus, this is totally the opposite of my lifestyle. I'm not used to, you know, selling and giving. I'm used to buying and keeping. And you are telling me right now that you want me to get rid of all my stuff? You want me to do that? It would appear that this young ruler has an issue with commandment number 10. Do not covet. Let's see, let, let's see how, how does that work? What is coveting? Coveting is this fierce desire to want what someone else has. You typically already have it. You just want more. 
And again, it's interesting, because in this life, you can covet anything, okay? Exodus gives us examples, but you really can covet anything. You can covet someone's house, someone's spouse, someone's boat, someone's goat. Dr. Seuss is very helpful with this, you know. I mean, just go through the whole list. I mean, you can do this. You can covet a wife, a husband, children, a job. I mean, it makes no difference. You can covet literally anything in this world. And Jesus is just telling us, we've got to be careful We've got to be careful because of what coveting and greed can do, the thoughts that it creates in our minds. Um, Remember, we're in Luke 18. Jesus has already said this in Luke 12. This is pivotal. This is a statement. Jesus says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Coveting is a type of greed. He He says, all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And oftentimes I do, we do, we think that it does. Oftentimes we find ourselves, our hope is kind of found. It's found in the stuff that we have. Um, right now I'm thinking that this young ruler is going to rise up and he's going to say something to Jesus. Remember when he said, hey Jesus, when it com- comes to commands 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, he says, I am stellar. I am batting a thousand. I've done great stuff. I'm expecting him to say the very same thing with commandment number 10. Look at me, I've kept this command since I was a boy doesn't happen. Go to verse 23. Verse 23 in Luke. Verse 23 says this. um, When he, the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. When we talk about filling in the blank, my hope is found in what? Please, there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we begin to love them. The problem is when we make them our hope in this world. I mean, I don't know, folks. I I know this is first century. I know we're talking about the rich young ruler, but it's very apparent here that this man is having a hard time letting go of his stuff. And let's face it, we do the same thing. We have a hard time of letting go of our things, of our stuff in this world. So let me, let me just give you a couple of examples of this. So I was just in Florida last week, on, you know, flying on a plane, so this is very, very clear in my mind. On September 8th, 2015, it was British Airways Flight 2766, and they had 170 people on board, and uh, they, were at Los, they were in a Las Vegas airport. They're on the tarmac there waiting to fly out, waiting to take off. And so the pilot then calls in saying, we now have a catastrophic failure of the left engine. So what that means is that the left engine burst into flames. It's now billowing up smoke there. Everyone can see it. It's now catching the left wing on fire. And so now it's like, we've got to evacuate. It's time to get the 170 passengers off this plane. And so people made observations, people that were out looking and watching, people on the ground, and they noticed how many, so many of the passengers they're evacuating stopped to grab their carry-on bag. I probably would have done it too if my computer was in it. Wait, do you get what I'm saying on that? They're saying, they stopped to get there. Oh, what's the big deal, Greg? Come on, that's, that's no big deal. Uh, consider this. All right, so here it is. The FAA requires planes to be evacuated within 90 seconds, but this is what often happens. Let's say the average delay time per bag is five seconds. This includes the time needed to reach up to open the overhead compartment, pulling the bag down, and the extra delay hauling it through a crowded aisle says, if half of the 170 people on board took the time to take their bag, the evacuation would have taken an additional seven minutes longer than necessary. 
Imagine being the last one to exit a smoke-filled cabin knowing that your 90-second evacuation time is now seven minutes. Again, and a person said this, it's like, honestly, a lot of times we're more concerned about our stuff than we are with our very own lives. But it is true. Again, please, again, the things that we have, again, not wrong, but oh, sometimes, can they lead us to a wrong perspective about what's really important in life? Let me give you another example. So this question, which you, this is a question that a lot of us ponder, especially when a person's considering retiring. But this question, how much money would it take for you to say you have enough? So I read two things which I thought were very interesting to me. So a study was done. And so it, they were just saying, the researchers were saying, most people, it does not make a difference what amount of money you make as far as your yearly salary. Let me say within reason. You make 30000 a year, 60000 90000 250000 If you ask anyone in that category, almost every single person will say, well, for me to know I have enough, I, have to make, I may have to have 10% more. I need 10% more, and then I'll have enough, except for multimillionaires. In the thought, wouldn't the logic be that the more money you have, the more secure that you would feel? And that is completely the opposite of how it works. It seems like the more money we have, the more money we have to have. So here's this. Harvard Business School did a study. And this was back in 2018, and they evaluated, researched 4,000 multimillionaires in the United States alone. And they said, let's just talk. Let's, have some, let's some, answer some questions. So first and foremost, tell us what's your net worth. And one person said, $40 million. $40 million. And they said, okay, so right now on the happiness scale, I didn't know there was such a thing, but there's a happiness scale, one being low, 10 being high. On the happiness scale, where are you right now? I'm a sixth. 40 million, and they're a six. They're saying, I'm a six. All right, and they said, okay, so tell us, how much more money would you need to make for you to get to a score of 10 on the happiness scale? And they said that it was 26% of all the 4,000 millionaires said it would take 10 times more money, 10 times more for me to score a 10. 5% of people said, again, uh, no, it's 23% of people said it would be five times more. So how many times, did he, how many, it's, so many times we have so much and yet it's still not enough in this world. What are we going to do about this? How much is enough? Now, I, I need to bring some sanity to this because truthfully speaking, um, most of us are probably not multimillionaires, so that doesn't really fit for us. But do know this, that nearly every one of us in this room are rich according to what the Bible says, the standards of this world because of so many people living in third world countries. Most of us are really rich. So it goes back to that, remember that statement? Again, it's like, again, uh, fill in the blank. You know, my, my hope is found in what? What's it found in? For a lot of us, it is wealth. It is our stuff. It's our money, our portfolio, it's all those things. I got a good friend here in our church, Jim Russ. He wrote down the statement, which I, I thought was really helpful. He said this, he goes, my hope is found in, he said, I would like it to be Jesus and his work, but I'm not that sure that is where my hope is. However, if it is not in Jesus, then where is it? And the answer to what he's saying is that it could be in anything, everything. But why would you and I put our hope in something temporary when we can put it in something, someone who's eternal, 
in our lives. All right, now, again, we gotta get to the so what question. Let's go to the so what, and the so what is, big deal, pastor. You pastors, man, you guys are driving me crazy. You're always telling me that, I mean, something's not right. I mean, so what? My hope is found in wealth. Big deal, who cares? What's the big deal that my hope is found in wealth? Well, I want you to know Jesus offers three warnings. He gives us three warnings about not letting our hope be found in wealth. All right, remember, warnings are a good thing. Warnings can help you. Watch out for that car. Look out, here comes a foul, a foul ball. See, warnings can be a very beneficial thing. Um, there's a wife, and she has warned her husband. There is a squirrel in the bathroom, but he will not listen to her. You'd better pay attention. Here we go. So we've had squirrels getting in our attic, and my wife is now standing on the counter because she's freaked out and thinks one has somehow gotten in our bathroom, which is physically impossible. Suze! There, it is literally impossible. There is there. I hear it. No, I'm there. telling you. Hey, don't open that door. I, I got a stick. No, you call the exterminator right now. Watch, Suze. Watch, 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 watch. Watch, What did I just tell you? I know it did. There literally is nothing in here. Literally nothing. 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 I'm looking everywhere. I prayed, literally I prayed all week long that that would not give anyone a heart attack. It's like, it's like, yes. She told him, she warned him over and over again. He didn't pay attention. So here we go. We've got these three warnings. Jesus is right out of the word of God. So let's get warning number one. Jesus tells us, this is Luke 18, 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, the rich young ruler, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. I want you to know something. What Jesus is saying right here is the exception, not the rule. He does not, I can't think, I've read, I'm looking throughout the Bible and I can't find him saying this to anyone else. As a matter of fact, in Luke 19, he'll meet up with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus has major money issues too, but Jesus doesn't tell him this. He doesn't say that because there's something specific going on with this man. He's struggling with coveting. I want to read this to you because this is important. Look what it says. It says, again, wealth is not wrong, but it does something to us. Wealth convinces us that we are more than who we think we are. Wealth gives us the illusion of power and prestige. If possessions take first place in your life, Jesus just may ask you to get rid of them. Why let that happen? Don't make them your hope in this world. Realize that you, again, you can't take it with you. You can't, and this is the second warning. I said this to you last week. This one's now out of Luke 17, 31. Again, we talked about this last Sunday, but it says, Jesus says, on that day, the day Christ returns, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back, go back for anything. The day Jesus returns, our possessions, your cash, your car, your house, none of it's going to matter. None of it, none of it can save us in this world. Again, the things that we use in this world, we're so grateful for. Remember, they're all temporary. Again, I keep thinking about so many people in Nashville. They had all of their stuff, and now it's all gone. Warning number three is Luke 18, 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? 
Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. All right, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And the king is Jesus Christ himself in this world. And so a lot of times, a lot of times, again, it says the rich, the rich. That would really be all of us. It says the rich often have a hard time entering the kingdom of God. And the reason is, again, a poor person says, well, God doesn't love me. But a rich person says, I don't need God. I just don't need him. You see, all my needs are met. I don't, but we forget. Or maybe a person's ignorant. They just don't realize. The greatest need we all have in this world is for forgiveness. That's our greatest need. And that's why God sent Jesus. That's why Jesus lived his life. That's why Jesus died on a cross, not meant for him. Let's remember what he did. Ushers, would you go and get the communion trays? And so the communion trays will come. Communion is open to any person who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. The bread represents the body of Jesus. I mean, the juice represents the poured out blood of Christ. This is the sacrifice that Jesus made to pay our greatest debt, to meet our greatest need, the need for forgiveness in this world. When you get the bread and the juice, would you do something? Would you look at that and think to yourself, think, I am so incredibly loved. I just pray, I pray that you get, don't, if, if you're thinking it in your head, if someone's telling you that you're not loved, it's not true. You are so radically loved by God himself who gave up his one and only son. Father, we come to you this day and we're so thankful God, for what you did, we cannot imagine that you would give up your son for us, but it met our greatest need. And Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you would suffer a horrible death for sins you did not commit, but it met our greatest need. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, and I pray that, God, we would come to this very moment so grateful. We realize the bread represents your body and the juice represents your blood poured out for all of us. Thank you for your once and for all sacrifice that forgives us and makes us whole so we can see the Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you remember, G, uh, it was the, good, the rich young ruler, he's the one that asked Jesus, he said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Well, the answer to that really is this, it's humble yourself. And it's all out of Luke 18. It starts in verse 9. Humble yourself. So it's like this. If you would say to God, just say, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done in my life. Have mercy on me. And the Bible tells us that if you and I humble ourselves, God will exalt you. He'll give you a nice salvation in this life. Again, it says in Luke 18 that how do, how do you and I you'll get eternal life? Well, it's, it's accepting it, receiving it like a child. It's having childlike faith in this world, trusting. See, if your little girl or little boy is at the side of the pool and they say, catch me, mom, catch me, dad, they mean it. You gotta catch me, and I trust that you will. And so if you and I trust that what Jesus said is true, and if we trust that what he did on the cross, again, that's childlike faith, and God receives us with open arms. This is what it means to have eternal life. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you, we're, um, our worship team's gonna lead us in, a, in an invitation song, so I'm inviting anyone here today, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd love to meet you down here, love to have you 
your confession of faith, be baptized into Christ, it can happen here this morning. I invite you to accept Jesus Christ. And I'm inviting people to come pray, that come pray. Specifically, Becky, you might have to help me with this, but there's two boys named Dakota. I'm, I need people to come down to the, to the, and pray for Dakota. One's 10 years of age, and the other one is how old? A one month old. I got two Dakotas, they're in the hospital, and they need prayer. So I need some folks to come up and, and pray for that. Would you come and pray for people in Nashville? and all the struggles and situations that they're going through, would you come pray and just say, thank you, God, for meeting my greatest need of forgiveness. I've got 20-some prayer cards on the stage on both sides. It's all people just asking for people to pray for them. Would you come do that? Would you come pray for them? Would you stand right now? Stand, and let's